2: To the spoken the
1: spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell.
2: This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios is my guy, Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Our guy, Trevor Twiddle is a little under the weather today, man, so we're hoping he makes a speedy recovery. But in the meantime, we are here with you guys for episode 173, Full Swing, Full Motion. We are so happy to be here with you guys today. We have, I would say, a very interesting show, to say the least, because we got a little bit of a mixed bag, because we have our guy from 810 Sports Radio WHB, Blake Schneiders, joining us today to to discuss this card, this UFC 276 card that is going to be... I think just extravagant. I think it's going to be an incredible uh, card for us to to take in tonight, man. We're going to have our guy, a guy that I trust big time when it comes to all things sports, but in particular in the UFC. I know this guy follows it. He has his own YouTube channel. Um, I think you guys should definitely give him a follow. We're going to plug all that in just a second. Our guy Blake will be joining us momentarily, and I am really excited to break down our thoughts and opinions, viewpoints on how this card's going to go because there's a lot of, of motion, a lot of shifting that's going to go on in the UFC, in particular in the middleweight class uh, out of this card. There's some big shifts that I think could take place. We're going to see some legendary fighters in this card, and I think that there's just going to be a lot of, of, of great quality uh, uh, UFC MMA uh, fighting going down in this, in this particular card this week because of the fact that Although the UFC has a great product. They throw it out there. It's a lot of quality. That's not something that I'm ever really worried about on a week-in and week-out basis whenever they have a card. But every once in a while, you get these cards that... Are pretty significant and have these great matchups up and down. My guy Sugar Sean O'Malley is going to be in this uh, this card, which I'm really excited about because he has an opportunity to really put himself in the upper echelon of the fighters out there in the UFC. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. And again, we're going to have Blake Schneider's just in a little bit to discuss this entire card, what he sees going to, what what his predictions are, how he analyzes these in particular matchups. And I'm really really excited to get his thoughts on all things the UFC but of course because of the fact that we're here to talk uh, the sports that we normally talk about we got some chiefs t- chiefs takes and topics for you guys today to discuss and as always, whether you're live streaming, whether you're YouTubing, or whether you're podcasting, I want to thank you for making some time to be with us today on this beautiful weekend in Kansas City. I know people think that rain usually sucks. I'm actually one of those weird guys that prefers this over the heat. I like when it rains. I like when it snows. I like the cool weather. And I'll take this as a win today. So if you're out here in Kansas City, definitely enjoy it like I am, because I know this is a this is a nice little break from the heat that we've been experiencing for the last month. And hopefully we can get through this dreary, this, this, this the insane heat that we're facing in the summer we can get to some football but in the meantime thank you all for being here and if you have not already subscribed to our YouTube channel go ahead and do that now and uh, get us get us going man because we're trying to like I said monetize a lot of this stuff we're trying to get this thing going and rolling a little bit more on the merchandising side of things and I hope that you guys are enjoying what we give you each and every week but Eddie I want to start here man because I've as slow as it's been Uh, with football, and I know that's all going to change in the next few weeks because training camp will start this month. We're less than 69 days away, nice, away from actual football starting in early September. I couldn't be more excited about that. I know you feel the same way. Trevor obviously feels the same way. We're all stoked about football this season because we know what potential is there for not just just the Chiefs, but just the NFL league-wide. There's a lot of great storylines that are coming about. And there's a lot of good talking points that I think we're going to be discussing before the first game even kicks off. But there's there's a particular storyline that I'm not hearing a bunch about that I think should be discussed a lot more than it is. And it is here in Kansas City. And it's ironic because Andy Reid is one of those coaches that is known for not just being a successful all-time great coach, but being somebody who's known to give second chances, and, and, and it usually pans out better than it doesn't for the people and the players and the the, the the personnel that he has that he gives second chances to, there's a reason why he's been so successful, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons. Well, somebody else is getting a second chance here in Kansas City. Nothing, nothing negative, per se, but it's a, it's a coach. And, and it's so funny to me how... I have been preaching this whole offseason. I don't feel like anybody else outside of us here at The Spoken Podcast. And if they have been, I, I apologize and I'll give you credit for it. But I haven't heard really any other show or any other particular uh, personality out there in the media or fans out there that have really talked about this, this coaching staff. And just how incredibly deep this coaching staff is. We know how talented this roster is. We know how uh, well well put together they are and the potential these guys have from the oldest players to the youngest players. But this coaching staff, to me, is going to be a key catalyst to what happens this season for the Chiefs. And the reason I say that is because it's something I've been preaching for the last couple of months is that I think the Chiefs right now, as currently constructed, have the three best head coaches in the AFC West. I think that right now, if you ranked head coaches or guys that have been former head coaches or current head coaches, the Chiefs would have the three. And why I say that, I I think that obviously Andy Reid is the class of the AFC West when it comes to head coaches. In fact, I think Andy Reid's the best head coach in football as it currently stands. And then after that, I think that Matt Nagy is better than Brandon Staley. I think he's better than Josh McDaniels. I think he's obviously better than Nathaniel Hackett because we have no idea what he is even as an offensive coordinator, let alone a head coach in this league. We do know what Matt Nagy is. We do know that he had a winning record two two times, went to the playoffs two times with Mitchell Trubisky as his quarterback. And Mitchell Trubisky might be a backup to a rookie quarterback that we have no idea what he'll be in Pittsburgh. So Matt Nagy, to me, has been the second most proven commodity at the head coaching level in the AFC West. And then there's Eric Bieniemy, who I think is more than deserving, like we've talked about many times on the show, is more, des- more than deserving to have a head coaching opportunity in this league. Will he succeed? Will he be a great head coach if, if and when he gets that opportunity? I don't know. All I do know is
0: that I think that if I... We don't know what
2: Bran Staley is going to be as a head coach. We have no idea what Nathaniel Hackett's going to be. And I feel that we already know what Josh McDaniels is. And I think he's just an offensive coordinator. Sometimes guys are just better at being coordinators than they are being head coaches. And I think that Josh McDaniels is one of those guys. And Matt Nagy is the one I want to focus on the most today. Because I don't think people realize how how valuable he is and will be to this, this coaching staff this season. As we know, the Chiefs lost quarterback uh, coach Mike Kafka this offseason. Uh, he went on to great greater things. I think he's the G- uh, Giants' offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and they brought back Matt Nagy. And I was reading an article from NFL.com. Kevin Patra uh, made this uh, wrote this a couple days ago, and or actually earlier this last month. And he was talking about Matt Nagy's mindset this offseason. As we all know, the Bears had a six and eleven record. They were not a good team. And the Bears decided to part ways with Matt Nagy. Most of the time when a coach fails or his tenure was deemed as a failure, they oftentimes take some time off and then go and relocate and work their way back up. But that's not what Matt Nagy did. And I want to read a little bit of this article to you guys and then kind of base my opinion as to why I think he's so valuable to this franchise moving forward for more reasons than one. So it says right here, quote, Matt Nagy's head coaching career started with an AP NFL Coach of the Year Award before plummeting to the abyss as he was fired after four seasons with the Chicago Bears following a 6-11 campaign in 2021. Instead of taking a year away from coaching, Nagy opted to return to Kansas City where he'd he'd work under Andy Reid for five seasons before landing to the Chicago gig. Nagy returned to the Chiefs as the quarterback's coach. In his first public comment since being fired, Nagy told reporters he hopes his time leading a team can inform his new team. Quote, I want to use my experiences in in Chicago to help me better here for our team here in Kansas City, Nagy said via the Chicago Sun-Times. Quote, there's a little bit of humility you have to do do in order to do this. Nagy was quoted in saying it's refreshing to work in small quarterback rooms led by Patrick Mahomes after four years in charge of the entire team operation. As a frustrating end to his head coaching run, during which his offenses couldn't find any semblance of consistency, and Nagy and his staff struggled to put players in position to succeed, he is looking to grow grow now that he has rejoined Reed's staff. Quote, you have highs and lows and you learn, end quote, Nagy said. Another quote, you have so so many hats to put on at that time. You learn a lot. You rely on those experiences that you went through. They're real life experiences. I didn't have that when I went into my interview with Chicago, but I had four years worth of real life experiences, a lot of different situations, offense, defense, special teams, how to deal with players, how to deal with media. What it does is it really allows you to grow, but it puts things into perspective. In life, for me, a lot of failures that I have had, I've tried to use to best my abilities to make me better. End quote. I don't know how this isn't getting more attention. Because if we remember anything, the year that he was the Chiefs offensive coordinator in 2017, Eddie, who had a career year? Alex Smith. Yep. Kareem Hunt. Hunt. They were having career years. Kareem Hunt led the league in rushing. And Alex Smith had his first 4,000-yard season and had his career career high and touchdowns with 26. And then got traded, and the Chiefs got themselves a nice little haul in return. And then Alex Smith got himself paid yep. with, with Washington. Washington. How do we not credit Matt Nagy for that? And again, even when he leaves Kansas City, although... In retrospect, the Chicago tenure he had was a failure. The fact that he was able to take that franchise to the playoffs two times with that type of quarterback as his quarterback, the limit, the amount of limitations that Mitchell Trubisky has as a quarterback, having to go and get Nick Foles to try to replicate what he did in Philadelphia... Still having some sort of success in that area. I mean, if it wasn't for the Eagle, or if it wasn't for the, the Bears' cor- uh, uh, kicker, was it in 2018, doinking the kick, they're advancing in the playoffs with Mitchell Trubisky. They didn't just make the playoffs. It wasn't like it was a fraudulent end where they were win- winning a bad division. They weren't even winning their division because they were in the Packers division. But they still were out there doing what, they, what it took to get in the playoffs in advance. It wasn't Matt Nagy's fault, though. His, his kicker doinked to kick. He put him in winning position. And I think that these words are powerful from Matt Nagy because he's telling us that I was capable of becoming a head coach five years ago. That's why I got the job. But in that time of success and failure that I learned and how to run a team, I think he got him, He made himself a better man. He learned how to be a better man and a better coach at the same time. And I think that the Andy Reid saw the same opportunity in this that I think Clark Hunt saw with Andy Reid. Because if you guys remember, Andy Reid wasn't a failure in Philadelphia by any means. But he had a 4-12 and season his final year in 2012. And people were saying, oh, it's, it's tapped out. It's done. Andy Reid has done all he can. It's 14 years in now, we've never won the Super Bowl, all these winning seasons, but it's a failure now because of this horrific season that just ha- that took place. He's got family issues, all these distractions. I think Andy Reid might end up retiring. People were considering that. People were thinking that Andy Reid might just, you know what, I'm, i got family problems i got to attend I- to. I'm in my mid-50s now. I have nothing left to prove. And then, what happens? Clark Hunt says, "The hell with that. You're coming here to Kansas City to change the infrastructure of my he franchise. directly, Flo- flew directly to them and out in California to go grab him from his home and said, I'm not letting anybody else take you. The Cardinals are interested. The Chargers are interested. There were several several franchises that were trying to grab Andy Reid. And the, the Chief said, to hell with that. I think it's the same approach that Clark Hunt had with Andy Reid that Andy Reid has had with Matt Nagy. Because I'm sure, I'm sure it was tempting. Because Matt Nagy has that good charisma about him, he's got he's very he's a very knowledgeable guy. He's been a quarterback, I believe, in the CFL. He won an MVP a couple times. This dude knows the game, so he could have easily went and got on a booth as an analyst. He could have become a writer. He could have done anything. He could have been he could have just settled. But I think Andy Reid said, "Look, man, there's a golden opportunity here. Mike Kafka is out. He's gone. He's doing his thing now. He's he's elsewhere. He's an offensive coordinator now. Eric Bieniemy won't be here very much longer." Eventually, he's going to get another job somewhere. And I think that's why they keep getting him on these one-year deals. And Andy Reid is not young. He's 64 years old. Which means that there is a limitation to how much longer Andy's going to coach. Eddie, I think there's a real golden opportunity here that Matt Nagy is the successor for Andy Reid. I I truly believe that because of the fact that he's homegrown under Andy Reid's tutelage. He grew his way, his brand as a a coach through Andy Reid. He went through similar struggles that Andy Reid has gone through earlier in his career, and he's learned from them, and Matt Nigg is only in his early 40s. I believe he's only 41, 42 years old, so this man can coach for another 20, 25 years. So, if if there's anybody that I could say I know for certain would be an Andy Reid successor, it's Matt Nagy because of the fact that he knows this offense. Him and Andy Reid have this down and this is volume two here. And I only think it's going to get better because if he can maximize the talents of Alex Smith in his 30s and make him look like an all-pro type of quarterback at times in that season. Now, Alex Smith still failed many times during that season. We saw in the playoffs, same things like that. But Matt Nagy got the most out of him. If he could do what he did with Mitchell Trubisky for those years in in Chicago, imagine what he can do with year five as a starter Patrick Mahomes with the type of talent they have in this offense. And I'm going to get to the talent in just a second because this Chiefs offense is going to be very talented this season. But I want to focus on the coaching staff because we sit here and we give Andy Reid so much praise, deservingly so, because he's the one that that turns the wheel. He's He's the one. Yes. He's the mastermind. Yeah. But this time around, more than ever before, not in 2018, not 2019, not 2020, not 2021, has the Chiefs had so much prowess on their coaching staff along with an elite, talented quarterback. Because again, in 2017, they had a hell of a coaching staff. But it's nowhere near what it is now. Because I I truly believe the Chiefs have three head coaches on this staff. And I think Matt Nagy is a guy that can make this offense even more deadly. And it's poetic because of the fact there's so much changing around this team. There's so much influx. Where you saw the way the league countered the Chiefs offense last season and made them struggle early in the first two months of the season. And then they turned it around. But you still saw certain inconsistencies. Now that there's been a shift, Tyreek Hill's gone. There's a new... There's a new core of, p- of pieces that we're going to get to and the fact that you're bringing a guy back to your system that knows the system and is better for it for what he went and did and came back with more knowledge, more understanding. of how not just to run an offense, but to run a team. I think it's a blessing in disguise here because I think the Chiefs didn't just get a quarterback's coach. They didn't just get a former offensive coordinator. They got themselves a former head coach and I think maybe potentially could be their next head coach. Yeah,
1: the, the biggest thing I, I, I see out of Matt Nagy's 2017. What he did with Alex Smith that year was unbelievable, uh, and to you got to think, 2017 was the year Patrick Mahomes was drafted. So Patrick Mahomes was under technically Matt Nagy for a whole season before Matt Nagy left. So Patrick Mahomes is very well aware of that system of how Matt Nagy likes his quarterbacks, how uh, the mechanics of the, of that the Matt Nagy system quarterback kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So. Him bringing that knowledge back to what Patrick Mahomes obviously learned first, and and obviously adding Eric Bieniemy to the equation, this can only mean so much greatness for Mahomes in the making. If if Mahomes can sit there and take the knowledge that Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy are both giving him, especially Matt Nagy being next to him pretty much every single snap, like practice snap, like Matt Nagy is gonna be, hey your footwork hey this needs a little bit of work hey do this do that tweak this how about when you throw sidearm do a little bit a little bit of this you know what I mean mm. if Patrick Mahomes can't take some of that knowledge from Matt Nagy it can elevate Patrick Mahomes's potential to to limits we haven't seen before so this is this could be a blessing for the Chiefs for Patrick Mahomes for this offense so Yes, like you said, they're not just adding a a, a, a previous offensive coordinator, uh, a quarterbacks coach. They're adding a head, technically a head coach, as a quarter quarterbacks coach. There's nothing negative about that, especially knowing what Matt Nagy did with Mitchell Trubisky, with Nick Foles. Obviously, he didn't get enough to to do a lot with uh, Justin Fields, but obviously, you you start a scene. How Matt Nagy was utilizing Justin Fields toward the end of uh, his his last season with Chicago. So, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's just I can't wait for what he can do with Patrick Mahomes because it's it's going to be technically two offensive coordinators talking to Mah- to Mahomes at all times. Obviously, we know the greatness of Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator, but we also know the greatness of of Matt Nagy. This benefits this offense so, so much. A lot. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, that's yeah and and, that, and i that i'm glad you brought up eric b me again because i i can't give him enough credit for what he's done over the last four years being the the offensive coordinator for this team and, and the fact that he is long overdue having a head coaching opportunity he should have had one four years ago and after 2018 and what the offense did and him being at the helm of that and calling plays in the games and obviously andy Reid's the one that you know builds things throughout the week with with his coaching staff but We've seen Eric Bieniemy's the one calling the plays on the sidelines. Yep. He should have got a head coaching job after that first season when Patrick Williams had an almost unprecedented season that's unlike 5, anything yeah, yeah unlike almost anything we've ever seen. So this this is an added advantage for the Chiefs because Eric Bieniemy's still running the offense Andy Reid is still the one that's figuring out how to build a more efficient offense each and every offseason and the week leading into the the game and then you have Matt Nagy right on the hip of Patrick Mahomes. A guy that was here Patrick Mahomes' rookie season in 2017 as well. And he heaped praise on Patrick Mahomes in training camp, OTAs, mandatory... You know, the, all, all the stuff leading into the season. He knows what this kid is capable of. Or I shouldn't even call him a kid anymore. But when he was a kid, he knew what he, what Patrick Mahomes was capable of. Now he gets to actually sink his teeth into those talents that Patrick Mahomes possesses. I, I Again, I just... I look at it from top to bottom, and we know that this this team obviously has to get better on defense. We know that's what's going to get them to win another Super Bowl. But what's going to keep the Chiefs in Super Bowl contention is having this offense clicking on all cylinders. And I think adding a Matt Nagy to the equation only elevates that along. It's it's literally like, and I know this sounds cheesy as hell, but it's the only way I can properly describe it or properly give an analogy, an an, an analogy form of the example is is like like literally the Avengers teaming up is this coaching staff you see you know you have your thor your captain america your iron man all together just about to whoop on some thanos that's the way i look at this coaching staff right now and again i think that is what's being overlooked the most because when we see these shows and we listen to these shows they're talking about the players on the field and obviously those are the guys that have to make the plays those are the ones that have to execute the plays but who is the one who are the ones that are ones that are, that are writing up those plays, the guys Calling that make those place. executive decisions, exactly. Yes. And so we have to look at coaching staffs. We have to look at the AFC is so loaded, and we believe that to me. Look at the coaching staffs and tell me which one has the advantage over each, of, each and every other one. It's the Chiefs. It's clearly the Chiefs. The Chiefs might not be the most talented team. You can make the case for Buffalo. You can make the case for Cincinnati. You can make the case for Baltimore. You can make the case for the Browns. You can make cases for these other teams. But none of those teams have the coaching staffs that the Chiefs do. And I'm not, again, I'm not even talking head coach because we both know, we both would agree, the Chiefs have the best head coach quarterback tandem in the league by far at this point. It's not even close at this point. The success they've only had in these this short four-year window, it's almost unprecedented. We've never seen anybody host four consecutive AFC championships. It's never happened. It's never even happened three times in a row. The Chiefs are extending the record. So obviously that goes to the credit of what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are as a nucleus and as a tandem. But when you add somebody that I think was done wrong in Chicago and learned from it and learned from his mistakes and is only going to get better as a coach no matter what rank and file he has. I think that only is going to elevate the Chiefs' ability to adjust to what the the league did adjustment wise and make this offense click on all cylinders and be historic once again. Yeah, and the addition of Matt Nagy, I really
1: do hope that this helps Patrick Mahomes in a way to where he can he can override plays, he can call audibles, mm-hmm. he can he can switch the play. We saw it last year against the Bengals in the last play of the uh, was it the half. Uh, when he when he tossed it to Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill obviously didn't get into the end zone. That was a play that was called by, I believe, Eric Bieniemy, And instead of audibling uh, audibly out of that play, knowing that it was a bad play, he still went with that play. So I hope Matt Nagy can come in here and, and, and make Patrick Mahomes into that quarterback to where he has enough confidence to call a different play. We saw it in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. He was like, hey, do we have time to run Wasp? Mm-hmm. We need that player more than we than more than we don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We need we need Patrick Mahomes to come out there and be confident, be be prepared to call those audibles, be be ready to say, hey, no, that play's not gonna work. Let's try this, or hey, I know that's not gonna work. Let's try something different. So I hope with Matt Nagy coming back to Kansas City, I, I hope that helps Patrick Mahomes in that aspect as well. So
2: yeah. And 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 to the to the point of of the the weapons I'm talking about, you know, losing Tyree Kill, we can all agree, and, and it's been addressed time and time again. This is something that everybody's talked about. That's a massive loss. That's something that you have to adjust to. But I think the Chiefs have done as good of a job as anybody could have of losing that type of player. Because you look at the Packers losing Devontae Adams, what have they done? They did go and draft Christian Watson, and I'll give them credit for that. But Christian Watson's an unproven commodity. We know what Juju Smith-Schuster is. We know what MVS can be. We know what McColl Hardman can be and has been. So the Chiefs already have the upper hand on teams like the Packers, who most people are penciling, penciling into the NFC Championship once again. So I, I look at the depth around this coaching staff, and I'm seeing guys that are, granted, uh, proven uh, unproven commodities and Sky Moore and guys like that. But again, the Chiefs have a foundation here. It's not like they, they lost Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. It's not like they, you know, Travis Kelsey retired or had a season-ending injury that's going to go through into this season and they lost Tyreek Hill. That would be a problem. That would be something I would be extremely worried about. But because of the fact that the guys that are unproven on this team are guys that are all about football as we talked about last week how they're obsessed with getting this game going or getting their games going, getting started. You're seeing Sky Moore and Patrick Mahomes down there in Texas right now warming up, killing it out there in practices, getting everything going. You're seeing guys that are training with Bobby Stroop who is Patrick Mahomes' personal trainer. And they weren't even recommended by Patrick Mahomes they were already working with him so like this team has a unification here and it only got more unified with the coaching staff getting solidified and then you add the pieces on the in the wide receiver position I know it sounds crazy to say but I don't think it's crazy I think the Chiefs have a better wide receiving core than they did last season our guy Charles Goldman said the same thing our guy Seth Kaiser felt the same way losing is such a great piece sucks But when you replace that with three or four solid pieces, yes, all of a sudden you open up all your options. And if we remember, Tom Brady's greatest, one of his greatest statistical seasons was in 2007 with Randy Moss. That was great. They didn't win the Super Bowl. You know the years that he's won the Super Bowl? His best receiver was Julian Edelman. Broke down Rob Gronkowski. It was was options is what I'm saying. And you got your defense to lead the way in some big jams. That's what the Chiefs need. And we broken this down. I told you last week about how Steve Spagnuolo, to me, has the most pressure on of all of, all, of all, rock, yeah. all all members of this of this team of this ball club. He has the most pressure on because he has to get this defense clicking on all cylinders early. early. because this this schedule shows no favors for the Chiefs at yeah. least in the first twelve the fir- to thirteen weeks, yeah. and and then week fourteen they got the Broncos for the first time. So Steve Spagnuolo has his work cut out. But I'm not worried about this offense because of anything, despite. The, the subtraction of Tyreek Hill, what they've added in replace of that, both coaching staff and in player, I think is going to help this offense elevate beyond what they were even last season with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Oh, definitely. When when the the whole Tyreek
1: Hill news broke down, I wasn't as uh, as upset as you were. Uh, I wasn't as upset as a lot of Chiefs fans were. I saw the the other side. I saw mm-hmm. the green. You know how they say the grass is greener always on the other side. That's what I saw when Tyreek Hill got traded. I was like. Okay, we had one year left. He let's say he he didn't sign the extension this year. Next year it would have been a much bigger contract if he would have balled out again. And then there would have been no way we. So let's get something now that we have still one year in control, mm-hmm. and get the most of it. And that that's what the Chiefs did. The, obviously, the Chiefs had added Juju by the time uh, before Tyreek Hill got traded. So we we're all happy about that. But then Tyreek Hill got traded. Then we added MVS. Then we added uh, obviously with the uh, with the draft picks we got for Tyreek Hill. We got uh, Sky Moore. Uh, we 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 added depth to this offense. And I was even less worried about. Yes, we're losing a, a transcendent player, a superstar in this league. But anybody, anybody, anywhere can be replaced. Yeah. I'm not saying talent for talent, uh, player for player, but. With depth you can definitely replace what one player could 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 could, could do. Yeah. Or could have done. With a lot more. So I was never worried about Tyreek Hill leaving because I know this this coaching staff would get it right. And yeah. I believe they just they did just that.
2: And not to downplay the, the value of Tyreek Hill. No, 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 I'm not I'm in, not in, saying I, yeah, no, no, I'm saying in an ideal world we'd rather still have Tyreek. Tyreek Hill, Hill yeah. But the point is is that even though Cooper Cup I believe, won the uh, MVP, MVP of the Super Bowl, which is one of the f- f- first wide receivers to win it in a while. Um, the thing, I, re- I think if we're being all honest here, as great as Cooper Cup was last season, it was one of the greatest seasons the t- wide receivers ever had. I think we all would agree that Aaron Donald had more value to them getting to the Super Bowl and had winning impact, the Super Bowl. Definitely. Matt Stafford with a no-look throw on third and long to Cooper Cup. Like, those guys, in my opinion, I'm not knocking Cooper Cup, but I'm just saying, like, I think that the Rams, if if you were to remove Cooper Cup from that team, I still think they're a Super Bowl contender. But yes. if you remove Aaron Donald or Matt Stafford, I don't think they are. Even with the NFC yeah. as 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 thin as it is, you remove Matt Stafford and put you know a, a Jacoby Brissett there, they're not a Super Bowl contender. You remove Aaron Donald and you put. Uh, you know, uh, just a middle tier pass rusher. They're not a Super Bowl contender because those guys are the anchors on both sides of the ball. So yeah. when, the point I'm making is, when it comes to the Chiefs, you don't you you remove Tyree Kill, it sucks, it hurts. They're still a Super Bowl contender because yeah. they still have what Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes and on the other Travis side they have Chris Kel- Jones and guys like that. And on they the They got defense. Travis Kelsey. Yes. So right.
1: yes, I, I I definitely agree with what you said. Everything that you said, it's a spot on. And to to think. The Rams also added OBJ, which actually helped tremendously. People, people are trying to downplay like what OBJ did there, but towards the end of the season, into the playoffs, he was hot, man. He was hot. He was going in hot. He was catching touchdowns, and, and he was ca- catching those crucial, crucial first downs. So, if if you would have lost Cooper Cup, yes, that would have sucked for the Rams. But like I agree with you. Like you said, I think they still have the team. Yeah. To make it to the Super Bowl? Why? Because they had a little bit of depth going into into the playoffs. Had they lost Cooper Cup? Yes, they lost OBJ, but they lost him at the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if if you take out Aaron Donald out of that team, that I would say that team is completely done because you lose. I, I would say Aaron Donald was a, a, a more of an important piece than Matthew Stafford is to that team. I think Aaron Donald to that team he's a he's the main captain of both
2: sides. So. That's a good take. I appreciate that, Eddie. I mean, who, who, you know, Eddie isn't just a soccer guy. This dude I, knows his football. No, I am. Another guy, another guy that's uh, quite well-versed and has, uh, has a lot of uh, – he's multifaceted, if you will. Uh, a good buddy of mine. We haven't had him on the show in quite some time, and I'm, I'm a little upset about that. But I felt this was the perfect week. Weekend to get him back into the equation. A great friend of the show, a guy that I've gotten to meet uh, through other sports channels, other uh, networks and things of that nature. He is a host, the host, rather, of Rooted MMA Podcast. He is also a producer and show host for Sports Radio 810 WHB, which is actually where I met Mr. Uh, Mister Blake Sneers. Let's give it up for the same man that I just named right now, Mr. Blake
0: Sneeders! woo what is good. going on, fellas? Lance, <laughs> ever so amazing. Lance Goodlow, I appreciate <laughs> such a gracious intro. I've never been introduced to you know, I, I just—it's—it's
2: it's a weekend of Bruce Buffer. It's a Bruce Buffer weekend. I got to enter my my Lance Buffer, like uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Marco uh, Marquez over there at 810 called me. So I, I feel that it's only necessary to hype you up a little bit more. And I try to give everybody the same energy. But when I when we get to talk a little MMA, a little UFC. I get a little amped up, man. This is this is a testosterone weekend, baby, and and it's and it's it's good to have you on, man. It's good to talk about these things because I know you're somebody that that has a, an ear to the ground and pays attention closely to what goes on in the MMA world and in particular in the UFC. We got ourselves, man, a, a big big card this week. And before we get to it, I just want to catch up with you, man. How how are things going with you? How are things going with the podcast? How's everything at eight ten?
0: Man, things are going well. I actually just went to work today. I uh, worked from about 6 to 11. Me and Jack Johnson just got done doing a show for about eleven, uh, about 9 to 11 on Sports Saturday where we covered a plethora of things. We covered fast consumers, they do and Royals. We covered the, uh, um, there was an article released by, uh, I believe it was uh, NFL.com uh, about the most under, or overvalued players in the NFL, uh, or in the AFC at least. And uh, on that list, by the way, they went AFC team by AFC team. They put Josh Allen's overvalued player, The most overvalued players to the Bills. And I'm sorry, but I don't know how that... I don't know how that's possible. Um, I'm not going to to you guys about uh, football conversation, But uh, no, man, it's been good. It's been real good. We had a good show today. And I have been freaking pumped all week for this day, Saturday. Saturday, UFC 276, like you said, it's a testosterone Saturday, okay, it's a spring Saturday, and it's a smash down, smash the Saturday. Eddie, also, it's been a while, Minster, how you doing? Pretty good, how about yourself? I'm doing well, I'm doing well, I'm doing I'm doing well, I'm doing
2: <laughs> well, it's good to have you back, brother. And that's actually where I want to jump right into it. A guy that I am a, a massive fan of, uh, Sugar Shane, of Sugar Sean O'Malley, uh, at fifteen and one, is taking on Pedro, the Young Punisher Munoz, who's nineteen and seven with no with one no contest. Uh, for me, real quick, Blake, I, I want to just kind of give you my opinion, my thoughts on this, just to to kind of give you you know an idea of where I stand on this. Uh, when it comes to O'Malley, he he just signed a massive new deal with U- with UFC. So I'm expecting him to to climb the board rapidly especially after this one against Munost, who to his own credit has had a really good career uh, obviously being 19 and 7 but he will be 36 in October and has lost 4 of his last 5 fights albeit to 1 current champ and 3 former champs but an L is an L in my eyes uh, with with a five inch um, height advantage and a seven inch uh, reach advantage, I, I'm expecting Sugar to really dominate this one and gain even more credibility in the UFC ranks. I'm I'm predicting in this one that O'Malley is because of him being an elite striker with his abilities to, to to really mess up his opponent at any given time with his feet and hands. I, I'm expecting. A, a big dominant performance for him in this one and I think his defense is gonna bode well because I know Munoz is probably gonna want to wrestle a little bit I don't know how that's gonna work against a guy with the hands of, of Sugar Sean well, again with all the reach advantage I think I think Sugar Sean is gonna TKO Munoz in the third round. What is your thoughts?
0: Okay, no, I, I think this is a Like you said Sugar Sean O'Malley just signed a big contract This is the time now because he was famous for coming out and saying He didn't want to fight anybody in the top 15. He was going to collect his checks as they come. We've actually seen Patty Pimblett kind of echo that same sentiment in the fight game, saying, I'm just going to take who they give me. I know I've got a lot of hype right now, but I don't necessarily need to go out there and face the number five guy in the UFC in my weight class. I just don't need to do it. I need to build my skill, build my craft. And I think that's what, you know, some fight fans think, hey, you're hyped up. You should be thrust into the, you know, you should be thrust right up into the largest competition. But I also think that's how you diminish a hype train. And I think Dana White has learned this now with the business side, mixing the business side with the actual skill side of these young fighters that are getting uh, more and more recognition. Social media has become the bread and butter of a lot of these MMA fighters. And they realize, hey, not only inside the UFC, but outside the UFC, I need to build my brand. Sean O'Malley was one of the first guys to really capture that and run with it. He realizes that his stock, is based on his skill level and how much the fans love him. You know, I know you guys, uh, I don't know about Eddie as much, but I know Lance, you are also a a fan of the same guy I'm a fan of, Nate Diaz. Why? Because he's a fan favorite. Is he the greatest fighter of all time? Probably not. I mean, if you're actually looking at it, of course he's a legend. He's going to go down to the UFC Hall of Fame, but he has a brand. The Diaz brothers have a brand, and that is just badass mofos that come to fight. Sean using instagram and using his his social media presence learned to build that and he said i don't need to go out and fight top tier talent that being said pedro munoz in my opinion is going to be the toughest opponent he's faced probably ever pedro munoz is yes he's getting up there in age, that is true but if you look at the last five fighters or six fighters that he's faced he went through an absolute gauntlet of people. First off, he started with Algermain Sterling. Yes, Algermain Sterling. Belt holding algermain Sterling. Uh, lost to Algermaine Sterling. Then he had to fight Frankie Edgar. Lost to Frankie Edgar, but it's the, again, it's the competition that matters. Then he won against Jimmy Rivera. Then he fought Jose Aldo. Then he fought Dominic Cruz. So Pedro Munoz has fought the who's who in this division. It's, it's coming into this fight, he has got so much under his belt. That they need to look at. So for Sean, this is going to be the, the the real test. They said, "Okay, we gave you a new contract, buddy. You got what you asked for. You wanted to wait till you got paid. Well, guess what? You're paid now. Now you have to go out there and fight." I also agree. I think Sean's going to end up winning this fight, but I think this is the most dangerous fight he's had to date. If he can go ahead and stick with his stand up, his stand up is elite. He's extremely technical. Another elite person on the on the on the card tonight israel adesanya a lot of people think sugar sean is the best striker in his division and i would say they're probably right he's up there with the most technical and he's so crafty he's funky he's very just intuitive with what he's putting out there but this is going to be the fight that really sets him apart because if he loses to Pedro munoz a lot of his hype train is now officially going to be derailed or at least people are going to question it now that goes to say how he loses the fight if it's a, if it's a three round drop down knockout?
2: Well, it would it would be his first legitimate loss too because yeah, his only it, loss he'd hurt his ankle.
0: Yes, the the ankle fight. I don't think anybody actually looks at uh, you know because that was versus Marlon Vera and everybody knows Cheeto great fighter. Yeah. And what happened was he ended up hurting his foot. He went down. So the, the loss to Marlon was yes, it was a, a technical L, but nobody really thought that Sean really should have lost that fight. It was more of a Should have been suspended due to injury. Stuff happens in the fight game. That's just how it is. So this would be his first official loss if he does not get the dub tonight. Um, He also, believe it or not, I think a lot of people think Pedro Munoz is going to try to strike with him and then try to take him down. Sean O'Malley actually has a very good ground game. He knows how to play defense and get away. So one of the things that Sean's going to – if I was Pedro, I'd stay on my feet and try to outstrike him, catch him slipping, but, but be cautious I think you don't want to push the pace too much with Sean. Now, that being said, you could try to ambush him right out the gate and just catch him slipping. It just depends on how he wants to play this game. But I think Sean O'Malley is going to tag him up. I don't know if he's going to finish him. I, for some reason, see this going three rounds just because I think Pedro's hungry. He's been on kind of a weird streak lately where he's fought the toughest of the toughest, yet he's lost four out of those five. So he's looking for a solid win, and I think he views Sean O'Malley as a hype-trained prey. So this is going to be a great fight matchup to watch, and I can't believe that we actually get to see all these fighters on the same card. You've got Itasanya, you got Cannonier, you got Volkanovski, Holloway, Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz, and they got Uriah Hall on the early, early pre <laughs> Like, what? That's
2: What's absurd, that man. You know? <laughs> well, speaking of going up the – The card we have the next fight with um, the ruthless Robbie Lawler at twenty nine and fifteen with one no contest versus Brian Bam Bam Barbarina who's uh, seventeen and eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one's super interesting to me. Uh, We we know that Lawler is is very much at the tail end of his career. I I believe he, if I'm not mistaken, he's two and four in his last six matches. Is that correct, Blake? Uh,
0: I'm looking it up right now. Is Record. I'm sorry. No,
2: you're if you're fine. I I was looking at it earlier. I, I believe it. I believe he is two and four in his last six. Yes, um, he is. He's
0: two and four in his last six.
2: Yeah, and but he has 21 KOs in his pro MMA career over the last two decades. And, and you saw in that Diaz fight last October that Lawler threw over 200 punches in those first two rounds. So he he's going to bring the swing in still. So no matter how old he is, no matter if he you know can can still land it the way he used to, he's still going to throw a lot of a lot of blows. For me, Bam Bam doesn't have the durability and cardio to withstand that type of onslaught at this point of his career either. I believe he's 33 or 34 now as well. Um, And with the reach advantage slightly being in the favor of Lola, I believe it's one and a half inches right now. um, I I think those hands will fly, and I think they're going to get his 30th victory, and I'm going to go a step further. And you might call me crazy in this. I think Lawler's getting his 22nd KO of his career in this one. And I'm sticking with that. I think that there's one last big-time shot in those arms of Lawler's, and I think we see it on display tonight. What are your thoughts?
0: So I completely agree. You know, Robbie Lawler's 40 years old. 40 years old in the fight game, but guess who also was 40 year old? Jose Dos Santos. Yeah. Junior Dos Santos is out here at 42 years old, holding the belt at one point. Now, he did lose his previous matchup, but honestly, that was maybe one of the best fights I've seen all year. So, looking at these guys, you know, a lot of people think the fight game is a young guys game, but if you really look at all the belt holders, all of yeah. them are over almost all almost all of them are over 30 years old. Yeah. And then you get Junior Dos Santos in there, he was 42 when he was holding the belt currently or previously. Robbie Lawler has always been known for two things: heavy hands and excellent cardio. He can take you deep into deep waters, my man. And you don't want to get in there with him, especially when you're taking the hardest hit he's going to hit you in the first round is going to be the same hit he hit you with in the third round. Yeah. I got this glare over here. I couldn't find a good lighting. <laughs> you're good, man. More, it's an
2: angelic aura around you. A, yeah. a,
0: a light sphere here. <laughs> but uh, but um, no, Bobby Lawler, I think this is going to be, if he can knock out Barbarana, because has Barbara got a chin, he has not been knocked out since. 2019 versus Randy Brown. And then he also was finished due to knees and punches. Now, I say knocked out. It was more of a stoppage uh, than, a, than an actual knockout because I don't believe he's ever actually been. He was KOTKO'd back in 2014 in his amateur career. So I'm not even really counting that. Um, but he's got a chin and that beard gives him a little extra. He's 33 years old. So this is going to be a brawling of the. Uh, let's just say the wise men, the experienced generation. But to me, I think Lawler drags him into deep waters and puts the absolute hurt on him. And I think just go as far as say this, I think he might get the win. And if he can get the KO, secure the 30th win, secure the 22nd knockout, who knows? Maybe this is, maybe this is Robbie Lawler's retirement. He goes out on top with a win. You never want to end your career with a loss, obviously. So, that's just something I could see Robbie Lawler taking this. He says, you know what? I'm good. I came and proved exactly what I wanted to do. I uh, he, he fought Nick Diaz recently, didn't he? And then I think he lost to Nick yeah. Diaz. So um, if he can go out on top with a dub, that would be perfect for Robbie Lawler. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I, I do see Robbie securing the win. And hopefully getting the knockout.
2: All right. So so far, Blake and I are 2-0. and We're 2-0. and Let's see if this – Trend continues here. I don't know but we'll see Um, I I think this might be the most pivotal or most important fight of this card moving forward because we both know The middleweight class is just loaded. It's absolutely loaded and Sean Tarzan Strickland who's at 25 and 3 right now going up against Alex Pereira was five and one in his MMA career? He hasn't fought a lot in the MMA, but we know that he's fought in other areas and arenas. Um, Strickland is a is on a six-win fight streak in a very loaded middleweight division, as we talked about. This is a fight that if Strickland wins, could is more than likely gonna get that shot against the winner of the main event uh between Asanya and uh Conineer. Um, but but Pereira's side of things, as we all know, he did knock out. The current middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, back in his box uh, kickboxing circuit. Um, so it goes without say that this th- that so much is riding on this fight in regards to the future of the potentially the best weight class in the UFC. Look, it, it, I I think that if this wasn't a fifteen minute fifteen minute fight, Strickland I think would win the war of attrition here. I think he would outlast. He would jab. He would do his thing. He would score points. But because of the fact this is a 15-minute fight, I think the power of Pereira is going to give him the advantage. I'm predicting Pereira, uh, he gets a shot in and he gets a shot at the belt by a TKO victory in the third round over Strickland. What are your thoughts?
0: If I was Sean Strickland, I would play the smart game and I would go for points. Obviously, both of these guys are outstanding kickboxers. Both of them. Now, Pereira's got a very short UFC career. He's five and one. So there's not a whole lot to go off of. We we know who Sean Strickland is. He's the Tarzan man. He knows what's up. He's got great boxing. He's got great kickboxing. He's got devastating power when he applies it. But what he does really well is he's got really good wrestling. And I think that's going to be the thing that he's going to use to control. Because if you're going up against somebody who's evenly matched with you, are you going to try to go – shot for shot with him when you're evenly matched, or you're going to try to go for the skill that he's the weakest at that you know that you're better than him at. And I think that's going to be on the ground. Now, the clinch is a toss-up, I think, and I might even lean towards Pereira in the clinch because the kickboxing aspect, uh, a little bit of Muay Thai in there, both those guys have trained everything. I'd be a little worried because Pereira, has got strong legs, he's going to kick the sh- Kick the hell out of don't Can we cuss on here? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Kick the shit out of him. I
0: didn't know the rules. I forgot the rules. Shit, but. fuck. <laughs> Anything you want. There we go. So he's going to kick the shit out of you. And this is, I mean, he's got excellent power as well. He's demonstrated it plenty of times before, both in the kickboxing ring and the UFC ring again, small sample size. But if I'm Sean Strickland, you play the safe game here. You know you're better than this guy in mixed martial arts categories. I don't know if you go toe-to-toe in the kickboxing area who's going to win that one. But as far as mixed martial arts, Pereira is coming into your domain. That's how you have to look at this as Sean Strickland. You said he's coming into my territory. This is my domain. I'm the one who's on the hot streak. I'm the one who's up next for the belt. I'm going to play the points. Nobody cares if Sean Strickland goes out and beats, uh, you know, uh, head kicks uh, Pereira in the head, gets a win, a spectacular knockout, 50K bonus. That's not the goal he's on right now. His goal is to chase the belt. So what you do is you play the safest game possible and get the most points possible. I think he's going to take this to the ground and try to grind and pound this out because he's going to be better head and shoulders on the ground than Pereira. So I actually see Sean Strickland, if he plays this right, pretty much handling this fight. It's going to have some really great exchanges, though, on the feet. And that's going to be fun to watch. But if I'm Sean, I take this thing to the ground and I hold him there and I pound this shit out into the belt
2: okay we finally found the one we found the one blake um we had a couple more fights on this card these are the ones that it starts to really gear up we're talking about belts we're talking about opportunities for guys to become a champion again or just become a champion period or retain it now we have the ufc featherweight championship uh alexander the great volkanovsky who is 24 and freaking one versus blessed max holloway who is 23 and 6 in his career So this is an almost unprecedented matchup, an opportunity for Holloway, uh, seeing he's already 0-2 versus the champ, yet is getting a third chance to retain that belt. Man, that's something I don't know if I've ever seen happen before. Um, I think Holloway is going to give Volkanovski everything he can handle because I believe Holloway knows this is it for him. I think we all know this is the last real opportunity he's probably going to get to become a champion because I think Volkanovski is the kind of guy that can hold this belt for a long time. Um, unfortunately, though, speaking of the great, the nickname isn't clever for Volkanovski. I think we all could agree here because this man is currently on a 14-fight winning streak with 10 finishes. And that's including dominant performances against Ortega, against Jung, uh, and then he absolutely murdered the Korean zombie. I felt bad for him <laughs> in that fight. That was just horrible. I mean, to kill a zombie, that's an achievement. That is- um Yeah, it it is. And and, and again, I I think Holloway Holloway is going to give uh, the Great a real fight here. I I really do. I think with his supreme striking ability, we know that Holloway has hands. I think it's going to be a a good fight. We've seen him give good fights in the past, but Volkanovsky obviously pulls out. Um, I I think Volkanovsky, because of him being at the absolute peak of his powers here, I don't see anyone, anyone right now taking that belt from him. I'd be shocked if this fight ends up any other way than Volkanovski holding that belt and winning his 15th straight fight. May even finish Holloway, but I think it's going to be a unanimous decision. I think that at the end, it's going to go to the judges, there's going to go scorecards, and I think Holloway ends up going 0-3 against the great and the great advances. What are your thoughts?
0: So, I actually have this fight 1-1 one one because I believe that Holloway won the second round, of, or the second fight that they had. Volkanovski won the first match. A lot of people think that that... That Holloway won that second fight, and then it went to the judges. There's a whole dispute about how judges end up scoring in the UFC right now. Should they right. go to a round by round? Should they go live scoring? It's a whole ordeal. Everybody's got their own sides, but I personally had Holloway winning the last fight, so in my mind, it's one and one. But I know Max Holloway doesn't think like that because it doesn't matter what you think happens; it matters what your record shows. The record shows two zero and two versus Golubinovsky. Holloway, which is so funny because he's been in the He's been in the limelight longer than the great Ale- Alexander the Great, but he's actually three years younger than Volkanovski. So, which is funny because Max is only 30, and it's weird because we've seen Max Holloway in the game since he was what 24, 23. Like, yeah, it feels like he's the elder in this scenario. <laughs> so, but he's actually got, he could have a longevity in him that we've never seen before of a fighter who's been at the top of their game. You know, somebody like a Demetrius Johnson who just did it for years and years and years. Or like a Junior Dos Santos who put it until he's forty two, you know? So this is gonna be such a weird matchup because one, it's gonna be one of the most electric fights on the card. Two, it's probably gonna have the most history and just absolute grit and determination behind it from both of these cats. Because yeah. one is like, I'm up 2-0, I have to stay undefeated. Max says there's a title belt on the line. That used to be my title. You own my title right now, Alexander, and I want that. And you've beaten me twice, and I feel like I got robbed the last time. So guess what? I'm putting everything into this fight, like you said, Lance. He's going to bring the hurt this time. And I think all the way if you look at his last fight – or not his last fight versus Yair, where he just – he pieced up Yair Rodriguez. But his Calvin Cater fight, where he's in the middle of the ring, talking shit, pointing at him, looking at Dana going, I'm the best boxer in the UFC, and then dodging punches while he's <laughs> talking, not looking at the guy – yeah, That was so that was so inspiring to see where Max Holloway is at mentally. He's like, I didn't even care about Calvin Cater or Yair. I knew I was going to cut through them like a hot knife through butter because I wanted to be back at this moment right here. So I think Holloway, I don't think anybody's getting knocked out. I don't. I truly believe that Max Holloway is going to put the most precision, timing, and excellent shots into this training camp. And I know he's been doing it. Uh, they've been talking shit back and forth, you know what I mean. I'm sure you guys saw some of the press conferences. It's been fun, but I don't really care. Those guys don't drive my needle when it's talk when it's about talking shit. I want to see what happens in the ring. And I think Max Holloway is gonna come away with the unanimous decision. Wow. I don't think it's gonna be unanimous. I don't think it's gonna be split. I think he's gonna piece Wokanowski up. It's gonna be a five-round fight, belts on the line. I, I'm, I'm assuming he's gonna take three out of three out of the five. But I think one of those is going to be highly debated. It could be two and a half and two and a half. You know what I mean? So it just depends on how this this scoring goes. I could be wrong, Lance, but I, just, I like it. I like maybe it. it. Maybe it's my recent maybe it's my recent trip to Hawaii where I'm like, your hey, <laughs> blood, bro. I'm just feeling the the vibe. I think he's going to go out there and just lay the freaking whoop to him. I don't think he's going to actually kick his ass. It's going to be a great fight, but I think that the 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 volume of shots that he's going to land. Is just gonna, it's gonna be, it's not gonna be able to be competed with. Cause Volkanovski, the thing about Volkanovsky is he's a really good fighter, but there's nothing that jumps out off the page when you That's look true. at it. It's not like, oh my God, he's got incredible power, or wow, his boxing technique is unmatched, or man, his wrestling or his jujitsu. It's like, no, he's just so well rounded that he's good in every category.
2: Yeah, like if it was a video game, he'd be like 87 at everything. It's not like 95 here, 75 here. No, it's 85, 85, 87, 86, 85, 86, exactly. you know.
0: And weirdly enough, because of how the ratings work in video games, he'd be 87 at everything, and he'd be a 96. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> so would make him a 96? Because the belt gives you a, a, plus, a plus 9, so... But uh no, well, I, I just think that Max is so skilled and his defense has looked really good the past couple fights. And I just think that it's more of a you know, I always say that the UFC is the ultimate test of skill and will. Well, this is a this is a fight of will. This is a fight of who wants it worse, and I think Max Holloway wants it way more. Okay. I
2: like that because, first of all, I just love chaos in sports. And if Max wins this fight, that's going to ensue chaos in the featherweight division for sure. Um, But also, just... You know here on the show we're now two and two here you and i have agreed on two and we have disagreed on two mm-hmm. and we have one more fight to talk about so this is going to be the tiebreaker here this is no pressure here Sneeters, but this is it right here so we have the main event the ufc middleweight championship with the champion israel adesanya the last style bender at 22 and one versus jared killa gorilla cannoneer at 15 and five Whew. look Real quick, let me just give you my little synopsis here. Adesanya might be the world's greatest fighter today, and if he's not, he's one of the true elites. I think you would agree with me on that. If you don't think he's the best, he's one of, and it's not even a debate. Um, He makes it look easy and fun, and you know this even better than I do. The MMA is neither. (laughs) It's not easy and it's not fun. These guys go in here, like you said, it's a test of will, of grit, of all the things that make us who we are. That's not always fun. That's uncomfortable. It's tough. It's grueling. And I don't want to downplay Cannonier in this one because he is an absolute bruiser. We know this guy is a freak athlete. We know this guy can, can throw paws. We know this guy has a skill set to him. But but you saw him struggle against Whitaker. You saw the difference and, and, and just skill. You've seen that Cannoneer can sometimes look like the inferior opponent pretty early. And I, that's something I fear in this fight. Because as I said earlier, I don't think there's a man on this planet right now that is more skilled at mixed martial arts than on Asanya. At least, there's not a lot. There's like maybe a couple out there if you really want to you know go crazy on it. But I don't mean to simplify this one because it could turn into a great fight. It very well could be, but I'm not anticipating that. Adesanya is the better, taller, longer, younger, more skilled fighter at the peak of his powers. That's bad news for anyone with a pulse, let alone Cannoneer, who's the next one that's in in line to fight him. I think Adesanya dominates Cannoneer and wins by unanimous decision. What say you, Mr. Blake Sneeders?
0: Hmm. Yeah, Izzy, Izzy is not necessarily known for his knockout power. What he's known for is his incredible technique. Pro- like you said, probably the best technique. And his his nickname, even though I don't actually – I've never been a fan of The Last style bender as his nickname. But it does fit perfectly because the way he blends and meshes his Muay Thai with his kickboxing, with his regular boxing, it's just so fluid. Yep. And it's it's rare you find a guy in the UFC or in mixed martial arts altogether or really just in any any combat sports competition who can blend styles like that. You know, somebody else who can do that really well, guys like George St. Pierre, guys like Conor McGregor, who just look – they look like they're floating half the time because they're just so comfortable with their body. their distancing their presence – and knowing what moves, I mean, it always seems like they're five moves ahead of the next guy. Now, I I think a lot of people have hyped up this fight a lot, and I think it's going to be a great fight. But Jared's best bet is to try to cut that reach off, cut Izzy's movement off, and he's got to get in close because hell, he's got uh, Izzy's got five inches on Cannoneer, and he's got two and a half inches in reach, which means one, Cannonier's got longer arms than a lot of people give for somebody who's five eleven. Um, But I just, the only way he's going to be able to win is if he gets the knockout. I don't think his wrestling is going to be more superior than the defense that Izzy's going to be able to put on, especially after how much defense Izzy's been working since the Jan Blahowitz loss. Now, that was a combo of Jan Blahowitz was a lot bigger than him. Two, Izzy moved up a whole weight class. Three, when you're that much bigger than somebody laying on them, even though it's not impressive, it's it's easier to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't want anybody to look at like Izzy doesn't have good wrestling. He he doesn't. He's not great on the ground. But I think ever since that fight he's learned, hey, somebody's going to come along that's going to be able to do this to me, I've got to be able to stop it. So he's at least put enough defensive work into the point where Jared's not going to be able to just rag him around. So it's going to be a stand up fight. Um, I if it was going to be if I'm going to give wins, Izzy's going to finish it. I don't know if it's going to be uh, uh, a fourth-round finish, a fifth-round finish, but I think he is going to bring him down. Hmm. Cannonier, on the other hand, his only chance to win is a finish. Yeah. He's not going to win a decision because Izzy fights for points and he fights for, for significant strikes. That's his whole game. He knows exactly when and where. His timing and his distancing are perfect. I think he does put down Cannonier, but I don't think it's going to be till fourth or fifth round. He's really dragging that out, getting Cannonier deep into those waters. I, I keep talking about deep waters, but that really is, I mean, anybody can fight in the shallow end. Let's go to the 10 foot pool. Let's go to the 15 foot pool. Can you fight me then when we're looking like water poloers, when we got our legs scrambling, when we're tired as hell, when we're don't, when we just fighting off uh, muscle memory at this point and not so much our cardio, Izzy's got great cardio. He always has. I don't, I don't see that in Kanadir. So the only chance I give Kanadir is if he can cut off Izzy's movement get in close, maybe get him in the clinch, and that's dangerous too. I'd rather have him just go ahead and give him a, a big overhand right, but it's going to be tough. So his only chance for a win I see is a knockout. Izzy can win off points, he can win off decision, or he can, like he did to Paulo hit him with the one-two, get him on the ground in the fourth and just go to town on him. So I've got Izzy winning this, retaining his belt, of course, and uh, proving to everybody that there's a reason why we call him the best in the world.
2: Absolutely. Right, so we're, we're three and two here. I call that a win. That's a winning record. I would say so. And I appreciate that, Blake. I appreciate you making me look like I know at least half of what the fuck I'm talking about when it comes to the you UFC. Do,
0: you do a great job, Lance. You do a lot better job than other people. I go, to, I go to the bars and I talk to guys who are like, oh man, I'm watching the fights this weekend. I'm like, oh, here, a fight fan? Let me start talking. I'm like you don't know fucking know shit. <laughs> you just, you just saw that there was a fight. And you wanted to talk about it. <laughs>
2: I, I don't want to be too casual here. <laughs> I, I, I do. Blake, I do have a couple questions for you though in regards to outside of this card because I feel that the UFC has some has some big opportunities here to have some big fights with some of the biggest names we haven't seen a lot lately, uh, in particular with Bones Jones, John Bones Jones. We've heard reports from Dana White recently that said that Bones Jones is ready to go. I kind of I roll my eyes at that at this point. I've told Trevor, you know, me and Trevor have been big Bones Jones fans for many years now, but I've kind of just made peace with the fact that the great Bones Jones that we knew... ...is no longer there. I, I mean, I I think he could still be a great fighter. He's not old by any means. I think he's 32 or 33 at this point. But we heard the Francis and Gainu rumors. We've heard, you know, opportunities here and there. And then he has these addiction problems. Then he gets in trouble with the law. And then he has these problems. It's just, it's always one thing or another. Once you think, like, the Bones Jones you knew and loved, the greatest fighter I've ever seen, come back it's five steps backwards and it's just so frustrating real quick on that. What are your thoughts on, on bones Jones returning? And if he does, what are we going to see matchup wise for bones Jones?
0: Um, you know, it's, it's so crazy because John bones Jones can go through all that. And, and as he's admitted, you know, he, he went out on a Coke bender like three days before he beat, uh, Daniel Cormier in excellent fashion for the championship. Belt. <laughs> so it's like, the guy seems to fuck up so much, but then what he can do when the when the lights are on, when the camera's on, and when Bruce, Bruce Buffer's in that ring going, it's why <laughs> it's incredible. And I don't know if I've ever seen somebody. I mean, these are elite level athletes. You get guys who do that, like, and I'm going to go back to the old Conor McGregor. You know, I'm going to go back to the Mike Tyson when it didn't matter what Tyson did off. When it got when we got in the ring, it was on. And now that John Jones has made the jump to heavyweight. It's going to be a little different. His fighting style is going to be different, but I do think we're going to see him come back. Now, the problem is, is does he automatically get to jump to the front of the line and get to face Francis Ngannou? Is Francis Ngannou even going to be the champion at that point? We you know he has a torn ACL, and him and Dana do not see eye-to-eye on fighter pay. Is, so is it going to go to to Sirogan to and Stipe? Are they going to get to fight for the interim title or the title, depending on how they work in the Ngannou's situation? Is it going to be Bam Bam to Yuvasa hitting outside the outside the octagon? Like, I don't know how – they do this with Conor all the time. Because he's such a draw, there's always talk that Conor can just jump everybody for the belt. I would give Don Jones more of the onus to be able to jump for the belt because of his pedigree, because of his record, because of his history inside the octagon. So it'd be interesting to see, do they just let him jump? I bet they do. But who's going to be – sitting there as the heavyweight champion when they let him jump. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely think we're going to see John Jones again. Him and his entire family is way too athletic to not be able to do this. And it's so funny. Both of his brothers played in the NFL. Chandler Jones currently plays. Arthur Jones did play D tackle for the Colts for a while. And I would say he's probably the greatest athlete in his entire family of two other NFL studs. Yes, 100%. and so it's just so funny that like that's a family that the greatness is just embedded in their blood so it doesn't matter what he does off the field and i do believe he's going to come back to a, a great mental spot where once they do that dan is going to give him the okay to go it's just a it's just a question of who they're going to get him to fight
2: yeah that's that's my hope too because when, when bones is in, it goes without say when you have bones jones a focused readied athlete to fight. The UFC is just insanely better. It's insanely better quality, and it's a great product already. But when you have, in my opinion, the greatest UFC fighter in the history of the the sport, it it can only elevate things. And and speaking of the the guy you mentioned a couple times, the most popular UFC fighter ever, Conor McGregor... um, I'm a massive fan, you know that. We've talked about this before in the past. I'm a massive fan of Conor McGregor. We all love him here. He's the the show. He's the showman, and he's the ultimate. Uh, I think he's the Muhammad Ali of the UFC, and I don't think that's being hyperbolic. I, he is the mouthpiece, and he can back it up. However, I think after the Mayweather dance with gloves, I wouldn't even call that a fight, mm-hmm. and he made big bucks, and he got himself that notoriety and even more celebrity, and he he garnered a lot more attention than he would have if he just stayed in the UFC. I think that hunger that drive that that natural progression of focusing more on the celebrity and becoming more of a mogul has been his focus and I'm not knocking him for that that's just how it goes when you become that famous I wonder how hungry he still is to be, to get in that octagon and compete at a high level. I'm sure he wants to still fight. I'm sure he would love to be champion. But is it the same guy we saw back in 2015, back in 2016 when, you know, no one had ever seen Aldo bleed? No one's ever seen that God, you know, fall and he knocked him down with one punch. You know, is that guy still there? Are we going to see that guy again? And if we do, who is the. Do you think he's going to kind of just jump again and get a title fight, or do you think he's going to get a another rematch with a Dustin Poirier, or do you think he's going to get another Diaz fight? Like, how do you see that going with McGregor if and when he ultimately
0: returns? So, to answer your first question, is Conor the same as the old Conor? No, he's not. He'll never be prime Conor again. Now, that might also be because he's thirty three years old. He's no longer twenty eight. He's no longer twenty nine. Um, you know, he's not looking like he did when he was fighting Jose Aldo, knocking him out in one punch, Chad Mendes, um, those two back-to-back Nate Diaz fights, the, the Eddie Alvarez fight. And like you said, you know, back when he even – he faced an early four-year before he ever got a chance for the belt. He beat a Holloway when, when Holloway was still on his reign. So um, – and then, like you said, took a turn ever since the Floyd Mayweather fight. So he lost that fight in boxing outside of MMA. okay. Then he comes in, fights Khabib when Khabib was at his absolute cream of the crop prime. Lost that one. Comes back, beats Donald Cerrone in an incredible comeback in the first, what, minute? By just shoulder shelving the heck out of his nose. And then goes, goes and loses back-to-back Dustin Poirier fights. But Poirier, again, was at the top of his game at that time. The fight that I think they absolutely need to make before all of this is over, before you lose the hype train, and this helps both fighters, this helps the this helps the UFC. This helps both fighters. Connor's looking for a, a dance partner. They keep wanting to say Masvidal. Okay, I can see that. But what would make it even more interesting to me? You fight Connor and Diaz, right? You get that trilogy fight. See who the ultimate champ is in that one. Then if Connor wins, you have Connor, who just fought Diaz, fight Jorge, who also fought Diaz for a certain Bad motherfucker belt. You have them run that back because I don't think you can ever be a true belt holder if nobody's ever challenged you for that. Right. So okay. I think because all all three of these guys want fights right now. So I think you do Connor Diaz. Depending on who wins that fight, then either one of them run that back with Jorge and Diaz, or you run it back with Jorge and Connor and actually challenge Connor or challenge Jorge for that belt for that bad motherfucker belt. Then if he beats Masvidal, you've given him two nice looking steps. To getting him back in the ufc without throwing him to the top talent when he really just needs maybe when i wouldn't call those warm-up fights but he needs fights to get used to it where it's not the the best guy in the league versus the guy who used to be the best it's hey these are two really good fighters and we would the pay-per-views would be awesome think about those who's not going to watch connor knock out jorge masvidal who's not going to go all in on on diaz mcgregor three like that would do the, the UFC such a, a, a disservice if none of this ever got to happen. And I think that's the trajectory that needs to go in that order. You do Nate, you do Nate and Connor and then you do Jorge versus the Winner.
2: You know, I agree with that hundred percent because I think that at this point, like I one hundred percent agree with you, and I've been telling Trevor this for a while now. I think that the the championship era of McGregor's uh of, of fighting career is done. I mean, maybe he will come back and maybe he will prove me wrong, but I, I'm on your side about that, which is why I think the prize fight type of thing needs to happen where it's for these bamp belts and things of that nature and the attractiveness of of getting a big name with a big name and just having them collide again. I think that's where McGregor's now at because let's be honest, he's bigger than the UFC. I mean, he is. He's a a celebrity. He's massive. He's global. And I think that the UFC could really benefit just having him there to the point where I don't even know if it really matters who he fights. I just find it interesting because I think there are big names out there. And and you're hearing people across the board trying to get him because they know he's a cash cow. They know whoever fights him, they're going to make some big money. And that's where I think if I'm McGregor, I look at it like LeBron and guys like that in the NBA where you don't take less. You demand the most because it's going to help the market of the other fighters. They may not be able to sell pay-per-views like McGregor, but that's not a knock on them. That's just because McGregor's special. He's a separate entity, but if you go and make those big bucks, it's going to push for guys like Francis Ngannou, who doesn't see eye to eye with Dana White, to go and get that big paycheck, because yeah. he has to at that point, because well, McGregor's forcing that.
0: And if I'm and if I'm any fighter right now, I would love to fight Conor McGregor. You know why? You know who has the top three uh, most selling pay-per-view fights of all time? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, and Conor McGregor. So, if you don't want to fight him as a fighter, your payday is going to be huge. Your yeah. interview sales are going to be huge. And it doesn't matter if they're buying, buying it to watch you or buying it to watch Conor. Because here's the deal. It's a win-win for you. If you lose, you're getting a hell of a payday. If you win, you got a hell of a payday, and you just beat fucking Conor McGregor. going someone right under your belt. Again, this is a scenario where it's a win-win for any fighter. And if I'm Nate Diaz and I – Again, I'm a huge Nate Diaz fan. I know you are too. The guy is begging for a fight. He's like, Dana, give me somebody to fight. I'll fight anybody. Just give me somebody or else cut my ass because I want to go fight somewhere. All that kid wants to do – I say kid. He's a grown-ass man. (laughs) All that dude wants to do is go fight. You know why? Because that's all he's ever known, and that's all him and his brother are ever going to know. They're going to fight, fight, fight. And why not give it to him, especially when the fans, the people that – are the lifeblood of your organization, want to see it. People have been begging for a Connor Diaz 3. They've been begging for it. If I'm Masvidal, I'd love to see Masvidal, because Masvidal, he's been on a streak. He had a great knockout against Ben Askren, and then he had the, the bad motherfucker belt against Diaz, And that was still kind of fluky. Yeah, he was piecing Diaz up, but I thought it was kind of an early stoppage based on blood where Diaz gets cuts in that same spot every fight. And they were like, oh, you're too bloody this time. He's like, it literally happens every time. (laughs) It's not a big deal. So people want that. So you face Connor versus Jorge. I I bet Connor wins. Yes. You you face Diaz versus Jorge again. I bet Diaz wins. Yeah. You just don't see Jorge being at the level that he used to be. So either way – You're going to get two of your most popular fighters re-injected into the sport, the lifeblood of the sport, and your fans are going to go crazy for it. I just don't see how that's a losing situation.
2: Real quick, before we get you out of here, what's going to happen with Usman, and is him and Colby Cubbington going to collide again?
0: I'm going to hold my tongue because of how I feel about Usman. Kamara Usman is one of the best welterweights we've ever seen. I don't like him personally, and I think he is a baby back bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, he is an amazing fighter. I just don't like that he's taken so long before since he's taken a fight.
2: It's a hand injury, right? Or something it's like an that.
0: an injury, and I get it. Injury is yeah. That sucks. But look how quickly they took the belt from Nganu. And they've let Kumara hold on to it for about 2 years now without stepping into the octagon. That to me is an issue.
2: His last so fight I, was Masvidal, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. Now, it was a great fight, he knocked Masvidal out. <laughs> so, like it, it's bad because it's not like his last performance was bad, it's just taking forever. How long do you get? How long do you get to hold on to your belt and somebody wants to fight you but you won't fight Right. Oh, hurt. Oh, this and this and that. Okay, cool. A lot of people have been hurt. And Ghanu fought the championship belt against Seerogon with a torn ACL <laughs> and, he and didn't won. Think about it. Yeah. So, um, do we see him and Colby fight again? I would love to see that fight again because, one, I think it's a great even matchup. I don't see Leon Edwards coming in and beating Usman. I just don't. His wrestling isn't. It. Usman's wrestling is really good. Him and Colby are basically the same person, different color. So, <laughs> so I don't think Leon Edwards uh, is going to be that. He doesn't move the needle for me. Now comes on On the other hand, I think he would. That's my me.
2: guy. He would That's really my guy. Me. You really—that is my favorite UFC fighter. I've been watching him since day one. I watched his first fight, yeah. and I've watched all twelve fights. He is—he is beating I'll Gilbert Burns was great.
0: Everybody, I'll kill you, dude. That guy is scary.
2: Yes. He no. he's smiling when Gilbert Burns is beating his face in in that second I mean, round. He's smiling. Well, he's not. He's not all there. But I love that about him. It
0: reminds me. It reminds me of when Mike Tyson's like, "I'll rip your hot out, each kid." He's like, "Dude, you say some fucked up shit like that." You're just like, Whoa! You're like, this guy doesn't give a damn, and he's a killer. If you look at his eyes, that's a killer. You look yeah. at Mike Tyson's eyes. That guy's a killer. You look at John Jones' eyes. That guy's a killer. Mm-hmm. So, I think I think if anything, it's Colby and Usman. They need to run that back. If not, whatever. Kamzot's coming for that coming for that belt regardless. And you're not stopping that hype train. And honestly, I like him better than Usman. Usman is cringy. He doesn't have good lines. He's not great on the mic. He's a great fighter, but he's everything that's wrong with with everything other than his fighting style is just bad. And I it's don't like
2: Ken. Remember Ken Shimrock, How he used to be horrible on the mic. Yes. He's a damn good fighter. He's a Good fighter. Remember, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll beat you to the living death The T Ortiz, and T Ortiz has lost his shit. That, that, like, that's kind of the guy Usman is.
0: Seriously. All right, I, I can't take anything you say seriously. All right, kid. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just – nothing. To, oh, dude, He's so cringe on the mic. Colby yeah. is also cringe on the mic, but he's built this character where he plays the heel. You, yeah. You learn to love to hate Colby, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, he at least built up this character. Kamara just truly is that way and like it's like yeah, ugh, ugh, you're not impressive like in the room you are but other than that dude just get out I don't care
2: it's gonna be it's gonna be a great card tonight and I am so happy that we got to really get into detail with our guy Blake Sneeders here man because he's the dude that I whenever I have uh, you know reactions or thoughts or opinions on UFC I mean, I'm always texting Blake. Oh, yeah. I mean, live, we're, whatever's happening, I'm I'm hitting him up because I know he's going to give me something that I didn't think about, or he makes me feel smarter. Like I said, where he agrees with me, and three of the five fights he agreed with me, Eddie. So I, I feel pretty good about my chances here. But in the meantime, Blake, thank you for so much for being here with us, man. I, I'd love to hang out again. We haven't done that; in, it's been way too long. Oh yeah, um, and 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 and. and we need to get our guy, Blake, hit, hit him up on Twitter. Uh, this dude has some good thoughts. He doesn't tweet enough. I don't know why. He's got good thoughts and opinions, but hey, he needs to start tweeting some more.
0: Tonight. I'll be on it tonight. Trust dude, me. I've been, I've been real We'll busy definitely have
2: day. to watch uh, some type of fight together. Yes. Yes, Blake, you need to come back out with us, man. We need to watch another card soon. Uh, whenever Bones comes back, maybe, or Ganganu, McGregor, we got to get you back in the facility and, and, and watch another fight together, man, because we always have a blast. But speaking of Twitter, he said he's going to be on there, guys, so follow him at Wake Blake 29 That's an in between Wake, Blake, 29 he's a great follow guys he's a great dude he's a great he has great knowledge and it's not just MMA this dude knows his sports uh that's why Eight Ten keeps him around and that's why we like to keep him right here as a friend of the show and as somebody that I trust deeply when it comes to sports knowledge Blake thank you so much for being here with us brother and I hope you enjoyed that card tonight
0: I appreciate you fellas thank you so much Eddie always good seeing you Lance you're the man as always and I can never thank you enough good sir
2: love you brother you have a good day
0: have a good one boys all right sure
2: all right, that's our guy Blake Sneeders, man. We really do appreciate him coming on here. He just, he just drops so much knowledge. Dude. I, I, I love how I can, I can bring up uh, uh, an opinion or a breakdown on a matchup, and then he comes out with this stuff that I did not even know about these guys, the backstories, the records, the matchups. It just, it's always cool to hear that. And this, this, this card is going to be nothing short of incredible, and I'm stoked to sell for this one. But let's, uh, let's transition to Eddie, man, because I feel like he hasn't really been here a lot today. Know, but, you know, man. he's kind of just chilling in the back. Yeah. Uh, we have the Eddie hour the uh, because I, this is my. favorite favorite thing this is why i wanted to make this a segment all these years ago because i like getting eddie's thought-provoking questions because even off air eddie's always got thought-provoking questions <laughs> for me so let's get to those thought-provoking questions all right, eddie, what's in the eddie hour
1: first question i want to focus on the nba dra- draft a uh, mm-hmm. draft fuck that was last <laughs> that,
2: was, that was last week right yeah we're in 2022 early <laughs> 2022 now honey. yeah yeah. We're so in June still.
1: <laughs> now i want to focus on the free agency which has just yeah. opened up recently in the last couple of days and it's been hot. It's been hot nonetheless. But the, the main topic I want to focus on, I, w- I want to talk about the whole free agency as a whole. But right now, I want to talk about this specific uh, topic. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. Yep. Obviously, we know that Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Le- Brooklyn Nets, it's officially pretty much a divorce. It's going to happen uh, sometime this offseason. We will see Kevin Durant in a new uniform. My question to you is Are we going to see Kyrie and Kevin Durant playing the same team again? Or will we see Kyrie and Kevin Durant playing different teams?
2: So the the most realistic scenario is they will not play together because the fact that there's only really one scenario Where that actually can take place for them to play together again outside of brooklyn uh, And that's with the lakers um, so, so the more likely scenario is that they will be playing in separate cities for separate teams. That is the most likely one. Having said that, though, I think there's more credence to the them pairing up elsewhere than people are leading on, including Brian Winhorst. Who's had himself the greatest week of his career i mean that man has been absolute nails when it comes to what he's been reporting and he's been five steps ahead of everybody else including woge including shams all these other guys he's been ahead of all of them and he's the one that brought it up and now he kind of backpedaled a little bit when he started to garner a lot of attention which i can't believe he didn't think was going to happen when he's sitting here saying that the potential of lebron katie and kyrie teaming up in la could potentially happen and that the lakers have a package in place I think there's some. There's more to it than people are giving credit. So it's because of the fact that it it sets up perfectly for it to happen. For one, the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers are on two opposite ends. They're not in the same conference and they both are going in two different directions. The Lakers are still trying to win. The Nets are now just trying to rebuild. They're trying to get whatever they can and build. And what we've been hearing from reports is that they're looking not only for picks, which is the obvious side of this, they're looking for two All-Stars. Well, how coincidental? Because the Lakers have two All-Stars on their team. They're willing to move off of, at least according to what we've assumed. Russell Westbrook in particular, they've looked to trade away from Russell Westbrook. That is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, where, and not if. Anthony Davis is the most interesting piece of all this because Anthony Davis at his best is a top five player in this league and he's in his prime. He's only 28 years old. So there's an attractive asset to all this because Russell Westbrook's contract is expiring and the the team that trades from can buy him out or they can just utilize him for this season because we know one thing about Russell Westbrook, whether he's still the great player he once was or not, the man shows up every single night and plays. He plays for 40 minutes a night, doesn't ever get injured, plays his ass off. Not always efficient, Kind of reckless actually a lot of reckless but he's always there he's always available he loves playing basketball so that's attractive for the nets second of all again with the anthony davis side of this is that you're getting a building block piece around russell westbrook or these other young pieces they have with patty mills Claxton, guys like that on this nets roster currently constructed and then you have the other side of this where the lakers automatically upgrade with the unification the reuniting of LeBron and Kyrie because we all saw the only time Kyrie has ever had success in his career is when he was teamed up with LeBron James that was when he was at his absolute apex and since then he's done nothing short of burning other franchises so if Kyrie is coming into this with with any mentality of playing real basketball the Lakers are contenders again and that's even without KD in the equation if they were to keep LeBron AD and Kyrie that's maybe the best team in the West as constructed then you're talking about joe harris potentially being in a trade piece as well so to answer this as, as honestly as i can the, the likelihood of it happening is not great but i'm not going to be somebody that dismisses the idea that it will happen because again if the lakers are already prepared for a trade a trade package then that means they have what the nets could potentially really want out of this trade they can give them two Uh, all-star players in Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, and they have two unprotected picks in 2027 and 2029 they can add into it, along with THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, that everybody, for some reason, is so valued on. I know he's a good basketball player, but he hasn't really shown us a lot to this point of his NBA career. I think they could throw him in as a a sweetener, because at this point, like I said, with LeBron being at the advanced age that he is, this this portion of his career, you're not looking for potential. You're looking for sure things. You add LeBron, Kyrie, and Katie on the same team, you add a couple depth pieces around them, that team's winning a title. So do I think the Lakers want to do it? Yes, I think that's 100% their goal. I know Kyrie will be a Laker. That's not even debatable. He will be a Laker this next season. The KD part of it's funny because you look at the Suns, you look at the, at the Heat, and it goes, oh, it makes so much sense. It does, but there's problems with that. And in, in, in trade, because think about it like this, Eddie. Ben Simmons can be what hangs up a, any trade for the Suns or the Heat. Because of the fact That now that Devin Booker signed his max deal off of his rookie extension, he cannot be traded now for two years. And you can't have two players, Bam Adebayo or Devin Booker, go to the Nets unless the Nets trade Ben Simmons because you can only have one player on a rookie extension. So you can't trade for either one of those guys. And they're not ma- the Nets aren't making that trade to the Suns or the Heat unless they're getting a Devin Booker or unless they're getting a Bam out of Bayou. We know Jimmy Butler's untouchable, so they're not going to be getting what they want in return. So who's the only team that can legitimately give the Nets exactly what they want and Katie would sign off on it? Because, as we all know, he's not going to just go to the Magic. He's not going to go to a bad team. He's not going to go to the Pelicans. He's going to go to a team that has a chance to win a championship which is why the Suns and the Heat were at the top of his list. But those two teams can't realistically trade for him as currently constructed. So the Lakers are really the only team that can give him what he wants, a team that can win right now and can give the Nets what they want. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that the chances of it are better than people anticipate because of what can actually take place and what the Lakers can actually give in return. So, I'm not ruling it out. And I I can't tell you where KD's going to go. I can't tell you where Kyrie's going to go. It will be with the Lakers. And if KD is hell-bent on still playing with Kyrie, as we've been hearing all along, that he wants to still play with Kyrie, where's Kyrie going to go? The Lakers. Do the math.
1: It's poetic, I see. Uh,
2: Let's talk NBA
1: free agency. Obviously, we saw the Indiana Pacers trade... uh, Brogdon, hopefully that's how you say his name. Malcolm Brogdon, yeah. To the Celtics. What does he add to the Celtics that they didn't already have?
2: I don't know if it's necessarily that he's adding anything they didn't already have, but he's definitely adding more to what they already do have, if that makes sense. Malcolm Brogdon is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, and he's an incredible facilitator, and he can shoot. This guy, I think he's one of like the five or six players in NBA history to shoot, was it over 50% from the field, over 40% from three, and shoot over 90% from the free throw line. I think he's like one of like five or six players in NBA history to ever do that. And he's still in the prime of his career. I think he's only 29, 30 years old. So Malcolm Brogdon is going to take a, what he's going to do is he's going to alleviate a lot of the stress and pressure on guys like marcus smart to have to facilitate all the time because that isn't natural that isn't marcus smart's natural way marcus smart is a guy that's a high energy guy he's really developed his offensive game but marcus smart's always been an incredible perimeter defender so what malcolm brogdon is bringing is just more of the same i don't think that adding malcolm brogdon is going to make the celtics the best team in the nba but it definitely keeps them in title contention because they just got to the finals without him and it's going to knock guys like Derek white down a peg and Derek white played a pivotal role in them getting to the finals. So you're just adding significant depth. And according to what I was reading uh, this morning, um, the Celtics view Malcolm Brogdon as a six man. So this team's so good that Malcolm Brogdon is probably not even a start for them. That's how good this team is. And Malcolm Brogdon is a surefire starter in this league. So, I think this is an awesome move for the Celtics. I think this is going to only help them get back to the fi- to the finals. And I, and if I'm a betting man right now, I think they are the they have the best chance outside of the Bucks to represent the Eastern Conference. I don't even think it's all that close.
1: All right, we saw the Denver Nuggets uh, give an extension to obviously the back to back MVP uh, Nikola Jokic. Nik- Jokic, yeah. Jokic. yeah. Uh, I believe is worth like two hundred and 284 for five years or six years, I can
2: remember. Yep. Thoughts on that? He, he's worth every penny. Um, first of all, it's the biggest contract in the history of the NBA. No one's ever made a bigger contract. That, and if we all know, NBA contracts are fully guaranteed, so he's going to make all that money. Um, it, there, This is a no-brainer. You can criticize the lack of playoff success in Jokic's career, but I think that has to do with more about what's been around him or what's not been around him. I think the lack of Jamal Murray over the last year and change has really been the reason why the, Nugs, the Nuggets haven't taken that next step. Um, I think there's also some coaching issues. I, I, I like Mike, Mike Malone. I don't love him. I think that he's got what it takes to be a good playoff coach, but is he going to be that guy that I think is going to help Jokic and this team get to that next level in a loaded Western Conference? I don't know. I'm still, the jury's still out on him, in my opinion. So this Nuggets team, although very talented, and Jamal Murray will be back this next year, they did add Christian Brown in the draft from the, the KU Jayhawks. I do think this is going to be a team that is on the rise, and it all starts with Jokic. So at this contract to me, I always crack up like when people say like, oh, that's just too much money. Well, how many players are better than Nikola Jokic right now in the league? Maybe three or four? Maybe. Maybe. maybe? And he's 27 years old. So you have a top five player in the league that's a back-to-back MVP. That you can build... He's a cornerstone uh, to to build around. Dude can score. Dude can rebound. Dude can pass like a motherfucker. One of the best players overall in the entire NBA. This is a no-brainer because this league, this franchise in particular, makes more money than you could ever dream of. So the 284... Is, is not a number that I think is intimidating because this guy is probably worth more than that because he is the Nuggets. You remove Jokic out of that equation, that is a lottery team year end and year out. So yeah, it's no question in my mind the dude's worth every penny of that. All
1: right, let's go. Let's go to the Utah Jazz. Obviously, we've we've seen them as what to some people are calling cleaning house, and the biggest topic from the Utah from the Utah Jazz is. Donovan Mitchell, will we see a trade from Donovan Mitchell, or is the Utah Jazz getting rid of everybody except for him to build around him?
2: No, Mitchell's getting traded. Uh, Brian Windhorst did something that I thought was so fascinating yesterday on on First Take. Uh, it pissed a lot of people off, but I thought it was great. He 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 talked about. Um, they they traded a player, uh, uh, Royce O'Neal. They traded Royce O'Neal as a salary dump, and and it, the trade didn't make sense for the Jazz from a team that's supposedly trying to build around their their franchise player. And he just kind of threw that out there. And was just sitting there, and and the, his co-hosts were kind of like okay, are you going to make a point here? Like, why are you bringing that up? And they were were of the belief that he was trying to say the Utah Jazz are trying to make a swing for Kevin Durant by dumping salary. But what he was trying to say was pay attention to what the Jazz are doing with their franchise because they didn't bring back Quinn Snyder. They just dumped uh, Royce O'Neal for basically nothing, Rudy Gobert, and then Rudy Gobert gets traded for four first-round picks, Un- unprotected or protected picks too. Or uh, yeah, so they're going to get those for sure. And you're looking at the Jazz now that there's no like true direction to contend. Now, obviously, Ingles is gone, Gobert is gone. Donovan Mitchell has no incentive to stay. They can give him a supermax contract, but why would he want to stay there? There's no chance for him to win. And, and if, if we follow what the Jazz have been doing this offseason already, it tells you what they're going to do. And Buen Horse was dropping the little hints here and there. They're selling. They're, it's a fire sell. They're starting all over. They got four firsts from Rudy Gobert. Imagine they can get it for Donovan Mitchell. They're going to take the OKC Thunder approach, where they just capitalize on draft picks. Is that the way I like doing business in the NBA? Nope. I like going and getting sure things and superstars. I want to get super teams on my team. The Jazz are taking a different approach. They're trying to build from within. Donovan Mitchell is the biggest chip in all of this because they trade him to, like, the Heat or a team like that. I mean, you're, you're talking about, the, the, imagine the hole you can get in return. Tyler Hero would be in that. You could get Bam out of Bayou. You could get two or three first-round picks. And then you're, then you're rebuilding your franchise from within. And I think that's what the Jazz are going to do. So if I was answering your question as honestly po- as possible, Donovan Mitchell's gone within the next couple of weeks. Okay. You think the Lakers should make a push for Donovan Mitchell? I don't think so because of the fact they're going to get Kyrie, and they play they play essentially the same position. Um, they're both their their styles are very similar. They're both very um, inept on defense, but they both can score. They both are incredible scorers at all three facets. They can shoot the three, shoot the mid range, and get to the bucket. I think that would obviously the Lakers would welcome it. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. And quite frankly, I don't know if they can fit it under the current cap structure. So thats I don't think that's going to happen. But I do, I do anticipate the Heat will be definitely involved for Donovan Mitchell.
1: Okay. Next question is, the Lakers traded for, uh, or I don't know if they traded, but they signed uh, Juan Tosc- Toscano. Mm-hmm. Is that just as to what you call in NFL terms a camp body? Or is he, are we looking for him to add something to this
2: Lakers team? I mean, you you saw he was very limited with the Warriors. I I think it's because of the fact that he just, the emergence of Jordan Poole and and younger players like that. I mean, even Kaminga, who they took in the first round, didn't play at all. I, I think, yeah, I think he's just a depth guy. I think that because of the fact when you have talented players at his position in front of him, he's always going to get knocked down. I think that Toscano is going to be one of those guys that just kind of jumps around the league because he is talented. I'll, I'll give him that. And he's young. And congratulations to him. He is the actual first Mexican-born player to win an NBA Finals. That's awesome. I'm happy for him. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, like, where he really fits on a team where he can be on the rotation on a normal basis. He hasn't shown me enough. But he is a guy that if somebody's to be hurt or, you know, someone's struggling, you can just throw him in there for a little bit and give you energy, give you opportunities to kind of give you a different look. But outside of that, I'm not really buying that he's going to be any pivotal piece on this Lakers roster because I think the Lakers by, by October are going to have a roster that's championship ready. And if he's on the roster still, he's going to be a guy that's maybe eighth or ninth on the roster.
1: Okay. We saw DeJounte, DeJounte Murray from the Spurs get traded to the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. God damn. I can't speak to that. Uh, to the Hawks what what um, what does the Hawks add to their team Mm.
2: Uh, I think you're you're getting a guy on Javante Murray that's 23 years old that averaged over 21 points a game last season nine assists and I think eight rebounds you're getting a guy who's emerging Um, he's he's a good defender Uh, I think he's a guy that the the Spurs definitely developed and I don't know why they didn't want to keep him that's something we can discuss at another time that the Hawks got better but as we were talking in our group text a couple days ago with Trev and I really wish Trevor was here to talk about this um I don't know how much it really moves the needle though because of the fact that I still view the Hawks as at best a tier two team in the east because whether people want to believe it or not the east actually has some really really good teams I mean the Bucks were a Chris Middleton away from getting back-to-back finals they were Chris Middleton, I think with Chris Middleton, the Bucs beat the Celtics. But even though they didn't, the Celtics are a team that are significantly better than the Hawks from top to bottom. Coaching, in my opinion, I, I love Nate McMillan. I'm a big fan of his. But I think Ime Odoka is, is on his way of being one of the five best coaches in basketball. I really do. And they just have an established franchise. Then not to mention the Sixers. I think with Joel Embiid, I think with Tobias Harris and Maxi and those guys, James Harden coming back, I think that's a better team than the Hawks. And Trey Young, as much of a fan as I, of him as I am, he's exciting he's fun to watch Duke can shoot from all over the court the way he played in the, in the playoffs this last year it really it bummed me out because I was expecting more and I didn't think he played as good as he probably should have I think adding J- Javante Murray, I think you're getting a, you're you're adding you're adding talent and you're adding a guy that can go out there and, and and put up points. But does he make you a contender? I don't think so. I think that he's a really good player and it's gonna be fun to watch those two guys together. They're gonna score a ton of points. But when it comes into a series and seeing the way these teams are gonna run at them defensively, it's gonna be really hard for me to imagine that this team's gonna make a deep push in the playoffs. But I, I I'm willing to be wrong because I also think that they're overlooking the Loss of Danilo Gallinari who's a really good veteran player to have in your and that's why this dude's had a 12-13 year career Because he's always good to have losing him. I think sucks for that team, too
1: All right, last question. I want to ask you in this This is such a, a sensitive Big topic in the NBA world right now uh, I'm sure you kind of know where this is going obviously Miles Bridges has been uh, on the spotlight for what occurred this past uh, this past week, and he has been literally, obviously, the the hot topic in the NBA. I want to get your thoughts and reactions to to what you've seen, what you've read, what you think, and what the NBA should possibly do to handle this situation.
2: Um. Not to bring the Deshaun Watson situation into this, but um, I'm going to a little bit. You know, Deshaun Watson's situation has a, ple- a a number of women involved, and now he's not been indicted of anything. He's not actually being crim- criminally charged with anything at this point. So it's it's it is different in its own effect. But because of the amount of people in it, you have to look at the smoke and there's fire. The problem for Miles Bridges is. is it's even more significant, even though there's less numbers, because we have photographic evidence, we have witnesses, we have his son on that recording talking, I believe it was aunt, talking about how his mom, his his dad choked his mom and then threw her phone out the window and all this other stuff, all these other violent acts and behaviors. I, I want to see the NBA act swiftly on this, just like I've been hoping the NFL would act swiftly on Deshaun Watson but for some reason they don't do this what i what i would want to see is miles Burgess be suspended for an entire year i don't want to see him play at all this season i want to see him go through all the legalities if it takes longer i think we're at a point now in society where guys that that we that we have a great indication maybe not proven until or you're, you know you're not guilty until innocent proven i would still like to see the legality side of things be played out before they are allowed to come back out because of the fact that it's it's all about representation to me i think it's pretty obvious that miles Burgess has some fucking problems because if you're putting your hands on your woman like that I think you're, you're a piece of shit I don't think that makes you a very good guy I think that's pretty obvious so the obvious stuff aside I can sit here and break down how sad and how heartbreaking it is to see her pictures and to see what took place I think that's, that's pretty obvious. We don't need to sit here and break that part down. I want to look at the, the, the what follows up with that. Because we saw the NBA when we got the recordings of Donald Sterling saying the horrific things he said 10 years ago. What the NBA did immediately. We saw Adam Silver come out and say he's banned for life. And that was justice. That was swift justice. We know what Miles Bridges did. We know that he fucked up because, honestly, he was about to go and get that massive deal, too. So he fucked himself in that as well, and I think there's a cultural imbalance, too, with that team because we've also seen other players that have been getting in trouble at that with that team as well. So there's also accountability that we need to discuss when it comes to the Charlotte Hornets. That's a real problem, especially when you have a young emerging star like LaMelo Ball there. Like, what, what he's looking around, he goes, do I want to stay here? I mean, I know I'm part of Jordan brand and all this other stuff, but do I want to stick around, stick this out? Because the culture there sucks. It reminds me a lot of the Wizards back in the early 2000s, and ironically, Michael Jordan was a part of that as well. So I want to see Miles Bridges... I want to see him have to deal with the legality sides of things without playing basketball because I think at the end of the day, although he's earned his right to play in the league, it also is a privilege to play this sport. And I think that if you are somebody that is dealing with something like that, if you, are ha- if you have legal issues going on, I think you should sit out until those are figured out and finalized. That's just my opinion on it because of how severe this situation is. We have an actual bu- bloodied and bludgeoned victim out of all this. What is the NBA going to do? I mean, we have two two of the biggest leagues in all of American sports right now dealing with domestic violence, dealing with sexual assault, dealing with sexual harassment. If they sit by or the, or the actions aren't swift and the penalties aren't severe, how are women supposed to look at that and say these leagues value us as consumers of their product, as human beings, as individuals? How, how could they do that? I try to put myself in that position. I'm trying to imagine if I was a woman and I saw, let's say, Deshaun Watson gets six games after all this. How am I going to sit here and go, yep, this this league gets it. They understand. Yeah, so what if they were only going to give Ray Rice two games and then the video came out of him knocking his wife out in the elevator and dragging her on the ground and then then wants to suspend him for the rest of the season? With all that attached, they're not going to suspend Deshaun Watson for the entire season? Like, I'm trying to put myself in this position. I see a woman battered and bruised by a man who puts his hands on her, and he's going to go out there and play in October? That's wild to me. That, I mean, that's absolutely wild to me. Am I am I one of these people that believes that if you're not incriminated, if you're not indicted, if you're not charged with something, that you should be able to have the right if a team wants to give you that? Yes. If, if the Hornets want to hold on to Miles Bridges, and they want to play him next season, if he's allowed to, then yes, obviously I'm of the belief that you have the right to do so because you're, not, you're a free man even though I may not look at you the same way ever again, you have that right. But I would like to see these leagues take more of an initiative in these types of situations. I know there's investigations involved I know you still have to investigate but I think that some of these are pretty open and closed when it comes to what we know and I think these leagues need to back the support or they need to support these women and they need to support these victims in these situations by their actions not their words by the thoughts and prayers stuff I want to see these leagues take action and I'm hoping the NFL does that and I'm hoping that the NBA does that as well in these two matters That's it for me all right, that's great Eddie hour. We have one more order of business to tend to. Eddie, what is it called? Hold, Hold This, this L. L. Each and every week, we finish off each and every episode with a series of Ls in the world of sports. Whether those Ls in the world of sports are friendly or not friendly, we promise you, whoever's holding those Ls deserve those Ls. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, who's holding the L for you this week? Is it F1?
1: It has to do with F1, yes. Oh,
2: sweet. <laughs> uh, but
1: it's, it's, a, it's a pretty sensitive topic. Uh, obviously, Lewis Hamilton has been... Uh, uh the the topic of Formula One this past week. Why? Because of the comments made by a former uh F one driver whose name is uh Nelson Piquet. Uh, what what's the issue? Well last year around November Nelson Piquet was uh describing Lewis Hamilton who uh I guess they were re- reviewing uh, footage of uh, the uh, accident in Silverstone of last year, which actually that races this weekend again, so mm-hmm. it's been a year. But they were, I guess, reviewing. And he was so upset at Lewis Hamilton and what he did that he called him the N-word in Brazilian Portuguese. Wow. This is on live television. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that has been the, the the topic of the week for Formula One. Uh, obviously, Nelson Piquet came out saying that that the word he used is uh, very commonly used in uh, in Brazilian Portuguese to refer as someone like a, a, as your as your friend as your mate. Uh, the N word, per se. Um, I honestly don't know the uh, the actual uh, translation. I'm going by what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, and a lot of a lot of people from that speak Portuguese are are saying that it, it's an offensive word even in Brazil. Uh, so Nelson PK came out and put out a statement saying all that stuff. It was like I didn't I didn't mean it that way. Uh, it, it it does not translate to that N word and yada yada yada. But just. Just yesterday, I believe another another video of Nelson Piquet from last year as well has uh, resurfaced on Twitter because you know once you're on the internet, it's the on the internet forever. forever. Yep. Uh, and he was calling Lewis Hamilton uh, a homophobic word. I, I don't know what the word was. I didn't see the actual footage, but but that's what that's what is being reported. It was a homophobic word, and then on top of that. You have the, the N-word. That, to me, shows who Nelson PK is as a man, what he thinks, how he lives his life. It's very sad to see a former F1 driver say, say stuff like that. It, it, it's 2022. There's no room for none of that. You can say yeah, well in in and Portuguese it's a way to refer your friends. Okay. But you're referring to somebody outside of Brazil that takes offense to that word. Just because you you think it has a different meaning to you, it doesn't mean it has the same meaning to other people. Yeah. Other people have other people have feelings. Some may people some some people may call them soft, some people may, you know, whatever. That's not the point. The point is that there's no room for that. Right. Anywhere, in any sport, in any – in even outside of the sport, there's just no room for, for any racism. There's just no room for that. So, for that reason, Nelson, PK, you're going to have to do me a favor and uh, hold, hold this, this L.
2: L. Yeah, that's pretty brutal, man. <laughs> I did not even hear that story until you just mentioned it. That's – well, mine's a lot more lighthearted than that, so I'm glad we got that one out there because that's pretty obvious, L. Uh, yeah, you don't do that shit. That's not, that's not cool at all. Um, mine's very simple, man. Uh, there there have been, in my life, watching sports, there's been a lot of colossal failures, um, big teams that get together and you think all oh, things are going to go well. I remember back in the mid-2000s, the Eagles had a loaded roster. Vince Young was on the team, and he was calling them, I think, like the – the uh God, what, he called them something like all star team or something like that, and they ended up going like I think it was like four and twelve. It was a bad, bad season for the Eagles. We've seen uh the the 4 Lakers where you know, they had Carl Malone added to the team, they got Gary Payton and they got Shaq and Kobe, and you're thinking, Oh, this team's just gonna walk to a championship and the Pistons beat them in five. You know, like there there's been some colossal failures in the past. There has never been a bigger failure than the Brooklyn Nets. It's not even close. Look, and and I'm not sitting here trying to, you know, pat myself on the back here, but I told you guys from day one this wasn't going to work. I told you guys that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, them being the leaders of a franchise is never going to work because neither one of them are leaders. Those are guys that are great at being the number two. And I know that sounds wild because Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players to ever live, and Kyrie Irving is a spectacular talent, but it's true. Think about it. The only time those two have ever had real, genuine, true success is when they had someone else leading the way. Steph Curry may not have been the better player, but that was Steph Curry's team, and he was the one that was leading that team. Draymond Green was the vocal one. Steph Curry was the one that was taking all the attention. Kevin Durant just got to go there and play basketball, and he won the finals MVPs, and he helped them win titles. True, but that team was already accomplishing things before, and they accomplished things after him because they had that leader. They had that integrated. Same with Kyrie Irving. Only successes he ever had was with LeBron James. Leaves, burns the Celtics to the ground. Leaves, burns the um, the, the the Nets to the ground. I mean, he's he, he he's burnt bridges everywhere he's gone because he's not a leader. He's not a guy you build your franchise around. So coincidentally we're hearing these rumors about them trying to team up with who lebron james who's the alpha the guy that will lead the way he's the only guy that can control their two psychotic behaviors their two sociopathic behaviors where everything is about them constantly he's the kind of guy that can handle that steph's the kind of guy that can handle that but in the meantime the brooklyn nets assembling Kyrie, KD, and and james harden and then bringing ben simmons in there just to dress cool on the sidelines Everybody penciled this team in, even with all the crap they were dealing with last year. People were still banking on this team to lead or to to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals, which I thought was hilarious. And they end up becoming the only team that not only got swept, but the only team that didn't win a playoff game in the entire playoffs. They were the only team that got swept. So how ironic is that? The team that everyone was just you know, throwing all this praise on and saying they were too great for anybody else was the only team that didn't win a single game in the playoffs. This was a colossal failure from the get-go, hiring Steve Nash as your head coach who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, even though he's an awesome Hall of Fame point guard in his own, in his own uh, respect, is not a head coach in this league. Sean Marks really, really, really... Screwed the pooch on this one to so bad that their owner Joe Sy had to be the one that meets with Kevin Durant about getting traded and he said he would accommodate. He went over Sean Marks head, who's supposed to be the, the, the operations guy. He's supposed to be the GM running things finagling things and all he has left is Ben Simmons. That's so sad, man. It's so bad. This is the biggest failure I've ever seen at the pro level of any sport. It's not close because they didn't win a, they didn't win jack shit together. They, I mean, it, they go to the Eastern Conference the year before, and Kyrie and James Harden weren't even there. Well, James Harden had one leg. Kyrie wasn't playing. Kevin Durant was out there just trying to will them there, and he's just not that guy. It just doesn't happen. So for that, Brooklyn Nets, your franchise is an absolute joke. Congratulations, congratulations on nothing, and. Hold this out. out. Appreciate it. Well, I
1: mean, they held something, so.
2: Hold (laughs) Nels. Well, this has been a this has been a fun show and flew by. Uh, Schneiders was awesome. Blake Schneiders was great. I, I definitely recommend you guys follow him. Like I said, wake and Blake twenty nine on Twitter. Got great great knowledge when it comes to the MMA, when it comes to football, comes to a lot of things. And that dude knows what he's talking about. That's like again why eight ten keeps him around producing their shows. Uh, he's got a great podcast as well. Definitely go out and follow him, guys. That was awesome for him to be here with us today. Um, sucked not having Trevor here, but he will be back next week. Um, but yeah, great show, Eddie. I really appreciate you, man, bringing those hard-hitting questions in the NBA. Uh, it's been a slow time a slow of year, man. but before we know it, we'll be we'll be thick in this bad boy, man. We'll be talking a lot of football, what breaking down. It? Yeah, we'll be talking about the the training, training camp, camp stuff talking about bodies talking about who's going to make this team and then we'll eventually very very shortly be having a prediction show our fourth annual prediction show can't wait for that shit but in the meantime I really hope you guys enjoyed this show Uh, get up on our YouTube channel uh, subscribe to that guys we really appreciate that where our numbers are climbing but we want to see it continue to climb but we appreciate all the traffic on on our Facebook and our Twitter pages and uh, we we appreciate everything you guys do for us but in the meantime we're going to get out of this bitch thank you so much for listening guys see ya you are tuned into the spoke. I might actually stick I might actually stick around for a little bit.